Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, joined today by the head coach of the Georgetown men's basketball team, my friend and brother, literally both of us sons of Coach Thompson. Patrick Ewing is here with us. How you holding up, brother? Well, Mark, I'm doing the best I can. And, you know, like you, just like you, I'm hurting. You know, I have a heavy heart, but I also believe that coach would want us to celebrate his life instead of, you know, mourn. You know, he's the man that, that, that we respect, we love. He's not just uh, a coach. Uh, or a friend, he's a role model, he's a father, he's, he's a person that has been a lot of different, wore a, a lot of different hats in, in all of our lives. Um, he would be definitely be missed, but I do think that we have to uh, celebrate, celebrate him. Yeah, yeah. When did you first hear about Georgetown and John Thompson? You know, it's funny because uh, I remember the first time I saw them play. Uh, it was one of those ECAC game of the week. And I'm watching them. I'm like, man, they, that's an all-black team, all-black school. <laughs> right, right. And, and then come to find out and realize that 
you know, Georgetown is, was far from being an all-black school. It's, it, it's actually uh, more, uh, more uh, predominantly white than black. Um, but just the man that, that he was and then having the opportunity to when he started recruiting me. I remember the first time he came uh, to Boston. He, they came, he came to Boston to see another young man by the name of Paul Little play. They were uh, recruiting him. And I think I was a sophomore, sophomore or junior. And uh, we were playing against uh, Paul Little's team in, 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 uh, in, the, one of the, in the tournament. And we beat them. We killed them. I was blocking everything. I was dunking everything. And I remember him coming uh, by our locker room with Red Arback. And I'm like, man, that's Red Arback. Um, and, you know, just that was the first time I had the opportunity to see him up in person. Um, but from that day on, I think they flipped the script and started saying, he told his, his assistant coaches, get me that kid. Um, but no that was you know that was the first time did uh, was any other school really in the running Patrick after that in terms of recruiting you did anybody else have a chance yeah my second choice was UCLA um you know uh UCLA was that was that was was that was number one until I came to visit uh Georgetown uh you know UCLA was great the weather was out the weather was great uh you know was, uh Larry Brown was the coach um but I I I I came to Georgetown came to DC uh loved it and, and you know I'm still here um and he he led you to believe it didn't snow in DC right <laughs> <laughs> yes you know I'm I'm a young naive uh, you know, 17-year-old kid, and I'm on my visit, and the weather was beautiful. It was a beautiful fall day, and I'm like, Coach, uh, is, is, the, is it always this nice here? Uh, he's like, yeah. You know, and being that I'm Jamaican and, you know, growing up in Boston uh, where it's, it's cold, uh, he's like, no, the weather, the weather's beautiful here, and I bought it. Then when I, when I got here, you know, snowing and the weather was was terrible. I'm like, coach, I thought you said I thought you said it's, it's nice here year round. He said, well, I got you already now, so there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Patrick, of course, you are, you know, considered uh, the one that really came along at the right time, uh, put the program on your back. I mean, you were the greatest starter to play at Georgetown, but you, like all the rest of us, got cursed out too, right? <laughs> oh, yes. No one was spared that, right? Oh, no one, no one. Hey, look, I, I remember there was a, <laughs> a, a time we were playing, I think, I forgot where we were playing, and then we, we, were, we, uh, we were in Syracuse because I think we were getting to play Syracuse. And he was, we were watching film, and he was just giving me the right act. He was just, oh, he was cursing me out. I'm, and then I get all mad. I'm leaving. I'm leaving the room. Uh, Mike Hancock was my roommate. I'm like, Mike, forget this thing. You know, I'm getting, I'm going back to Boston. This man ain't going to cuss me out. And Mike always teasing me. He said, yeah, you come in there cursing, you know, kicking up a storm. And, and then an uh, hour later, I see you and Coach and Miss Finland 
in the restaurant having having lunch. <laughs> so he he knew he had to get on me. He knew he had to you know make sure that I, I fell in line. But he also knew uh, that he also had to you know calm calm me calm me down when I went off the deep end about talking about leaving. Did did it ever? Sometimes this is why I would find myself, Patrick. Honestly, folks be getting cussed out, and I might not have been getting cursed out for a little while. And you felt like, well, I wonder if something's wrong. Why am I not getting? <laughs> Did you ever feel like that? Ever make you nervous? No, he was too no. <laughs> He's always cussing me out. <laughs> a couple times, and then and then there were times that I knew he was cursing me out to make an example of something. It would it wasn't about something personal. You know what I'm right. saying? I didn't take it personal. I said, okay, I see he's trying to. He's trying to make a point, you know. Oh, it was it was never personal. It, you know, one he cursing you out most of the time because you messing up. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I would be messing up, and back then it was for me it was all I was always getting into fights. Um, so he was always cursing me out about you know keeping my my composure. Um, but you know he he was just and he you know he always he always says he i have a phd in in profanity right <laughs> so you know he used some great uh some select words uh to to make sure you're you're understanding uh what he's what he's trying to uh what he's trying to say yeah yeah um it, during some of the racist attacks against you even on the court do you do you remember can you recall some of the the words Coach Thompson gave you at that time, and, and how he addressed that. Um, I, I do. I really don't remember some of the words, but I, I just knew that he was he was for me. He, he was, you know, Lane Lane is his his life, his 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 career on the line for me. Um, there were times, you know, you talk about uh, death threat. I, you know, I got death threat death threats. Uh, you know, people, you know, we, we, this country is a great country, but it has a lot of work that he has to do, you know. Um, but he's been fighting that fight for for a lot of years, not only for myself, but also for him. When he first got the job at Georgetown, you know, him coming into the office and finding a noose there with the, the letter, nigga must go. You know, all the things that he, is, that he has fought, you know, so the things that I was going through, he had already went through, you know, it, it, it was a life experience. And he just wanted to make sure that, you know, I learned at that young age that you got to fight for what, you know, for what you believe in and what, what, what is right. And, you know, him taking the team off the court and telling them we ain't going to play until all these, these signs are, are, are gone. You know, he, he showed us that he was for us. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, Patrick, as, as my brother, I tell you, I know he would want us to, continue what we're doing he could i can hear him cursing us out now if we got weak right i tell you man i wonder if you feel the way after there's still something you feel without him a little vulnerable oh yeah no you feel empty oh. it's a loss it's a loss but i tell you this mark he's always spoke highly of you he he loved the things that you you have done he's loved the man that you have became and uh become and I, I, as a brother i'm gonna tell you keep on fighting keep on fighting for us 
you know, we love it. We're right there with you. We're in the struggle with you. And we are, just as he is, uh, we are proud of you. You are family. No, I'm, I'm proud of you too, man. And, you know, I, want to, I know he'd want us to keep on pushing. I'm glad you're there. Um, I remember when we, when that first press conference and you three of us were sitting together and he was talking and you and I looked at each other and were like, mm, I don't know now. He was, he was, he was <laughs> tougher than you think. And he was laying some stuff out. You and I looked at each other. We're like, oh, okay, this is, I don't know. But I'm glad we were able to get you back home, brother. No, uh, I appreciate it. And I'm here for a long time. I, I, hey, we know that. Must be. Yes, Got to be. In Pat, we trust Patrick Ewing, folks, the head coach of Georgetown men's basketball, carrying on the legacy of a man who was a father to all of us, John Thompson. Yes. Thanks, Patrick. All right, boss. Have a good one, man. Joining us now, ladies and gentlemen, is another brother of mine as we are all sons of John Thompson, uh, our brother, also an NBA Hall of Famer, Dikembe Mutombo joins us. Dikembe, how are you? How are you holding up, man? I'm hanging there. Um, today, a little bit much better compared to yesterday. Yes, sir. It took me a while to just process everything, um, be able to handle myself, uh, to get myself uh, in a point where uh, I'm not losing my mind or nothing. It's, uh, it's just too much. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, tell us how you first met or how you first heard of John Thompson. I think when I was um, preparing my trip, there was a folks at the U.S. Embassy who have told me uh, the coach uh, who he was uh, that you might get a chance to play basketball when you get there. But I didn't know uh, who he was, uh, how tall he was, and all of that stuff. No, I had no idea uh, because I was more focused on, uh, on campus and in the university than uh, on the person. Yeah, yeah. So what, what was it like after you met him? What was the first impression he gave you? Uh, it was scary. You know, when you think you always have been the tallest person in the room, and there we go, you're walking somewhere, you see almost someone almost bigger like you, and larger than you, older than you, and tougher than you, uh, with that look that make you ask yourself a question, what did I do wrong? <laughs> right, right. We we all we all got cursed out at some point. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. We got cursed up in a good way. You know, you're burning tears my my mind, man. We got cursed up in a good way because we knew what we did wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What, when you came from the continent, when you came from home, what would you say was your basketball knowledge? And how did Coach Thompson uh, add to your basketball knowledge? He helped me a lot. He helped me, you know, 
he was not just a coach to me. Let me state it. Um, he was my mentor. He was my heroes. He was my teacher. He was a father figure to me. He meant so much to me, to my life. I don't know if I would have gone out to becoming the type of the Mutombo that I am on if he didn't provide all those resources to me and all those advice for me to go into becoming a great man in the society today. His mentorship was much stronger than anything else. He just didn't want to teach his students about basketball. He wanted to teach them about life. And that's the reason why there was always an hour to two hours meeting every day before practice start, where we talk about what's going on in society, what was happening in our community. And he was not afraid to ask you who you want to become tomorrow after your game. You know, what are you working on? Uh, what are you doing this summer? What are you doing your internship? Is your internship is falling on what you're studying or you're just doing an internship for something because you, you like somebody and you want to go work for them? It was, it was very important. That was very important to him, anything. Yeah, yeah. You are doing incredible work uh, at home. And yes. we all admire that. Um, I, I can imagine Coach Thompson's impact on you is what inspires you to do that work, isn't it? A lot. Um, I saw him in March 6, March 7, uh, when I took my, my son to visit school in D.C. And uh, the first thing uh, he did when he saw me say, son, I'm so proud of you, and you have made me so proud for everything you're doing around the world and uh, everything you have become. And uh, I'm proud to call you my son. It really did mean a lot. That, uh, and I didn't know that was uh, the last time I was going to see him. Yeah. And uh, he let me know that he really loved me and he really appreciate uh, my contribution to the humanity. And uh, there was nothing about basketball. He didn't know quite about basketball, he said. Anyway, so then he found out that I, I was in Africa the week before. I went there to do my work, uh, my humanitarian work with my hospital, um, with the $3.5 million school of building for 840 kids. And when he found out about it, he said, what, you, you're building another school? And uh, you're still changing life? Uh, he said, I'm very proud of you, and uh, thank you for letting me be your coach. It really means a lot. <laughs> Those are the things that I'm the one who should have told him that I'm so proud of you for standing on my way, making sure that I don't do nothing stupid when I was on campus. You know that, Mark. You know. <laughs> um, Dikembe. I think Coach Thompson was making a very powerful statement to African people all over the world when he recruited you, when he put 
kente cloth on our uniforms. I, I think that was for a reason too that was bigger than basketball. Don't you think? Yeah, because he always tried to relate himself to the source where he came from. He knew where he came from. And um, I was so happy that seven years ago, I got a chance to travel with him in the continent of Africa, to go to South Africa with him, to visit the um, Mandela Museum, uh, the Apartheid Museum, um, Mandela Township, and all that. So we to walk around in Joburg and uh, to see what the continent was all about. He just want to see it. And uh, you can see that in his eye how happy he was to come to NBA basketball with our border, to see the work that we've been doing for like more than 20 some plus years, and to see, okay, what can I do? And uh, he was happy to be there. Folks, before there was NBA basketball without borders, there was John Thompson and Dikembe Mutombo. And that's how a lot of that um, got started. Brother, I know how much he loved you. We all love and admire the work you're doing and, and the connection of us to home. Um, and I know, I know it's tough. I was talking to Patrick earlier. It makes you sad, but you know, he would probably cuss us out if we got too sad, you know, <laughs> wouldn't he? Yes, uh, you know, uh, for him fussing at us, it was the way to keep us straight. To let us know that, hey, son, I'm checking on you. I know what you're doing. Just don't go do nothing stupid because I'm watching. Yeah. And I got, he has people, he did have people that were telling him whatever was going on around his players. He knew about everything. And uh, this man was above CIA. <laughs> He knew which club you went to. He knew what time you came back on campus. He knew even which cab drive, which cab that dropped you off, and what color looked like. It was nothing you can lie to him, man. Yeah. Yeah. And he knows. Uh, he knew if you didn't go to class. <laughs> he did. He knew everything. He knew everything. Mm. Uh, so he was a great commander of chief. And uh, he ran his troop very well. And that's the reason why you see so many of his players are so proud of him. Um, I think another thing we take out from him is uh, his discipline. And uh, we cannot forget about that. And uh, I try to mentor my children on kind of same sharp way as uh, Big John was, but to let them know that I'm trying to pass on to the to the bottom and make sure that you guys succeed as well because that was the man who kept us straight on campus because Mark, when we went to school in DC, time was different because crime was bad, Killing was bad. Was so much drugs on the street in DC back then. 
And uh, he was worrying so much about his players. And he did everything through his power to make sure that we don't fall off on the wrong path and we succeed and we graduate, we get our degrees and move on to our life. And uh, me, I don't know how many more things I can say, but thank you, coach, for making me who I am today. And uh, thank you for allowing me to becoming the man that I am today. Kimbe Mutombo, folks, my friend, my classmate at Georgetown, uh, both of us sons of the man who mentored us, John Thompson. Thank you, Dikembe. Thank you, my brother. Much love, man. Hope to love see you me. soon, man. Joining us now, ladies and gentlemen, is a brother, you know, in, in the world of journalism and business and all the things people do in the business of their lives. I must say, first of all, how thankful I am to this brother because he reached out to me personally as soon as the word of uh, Coach Thompson came. And those are the messages that you really um, appreciate at a, a time like this, uh, when people around you know how someone of Big John's stature affected you. Um, but I also wanted to talk to him because it's important that the, the, the history is told and that it is documented. And oftentimes it's not documented in the way that it should be when it comes to those of us who are African-Americans. My guest has been doing that for years, though. Um, he covered Georgetown basketball. He's covered um, sports over the years. He's really been uh, a journeyman, whether it was Turner, ESPN, the Washington uh, Post. He has received the Kurt Gowdy Media Award from the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, and also the Legacy Award from the NABJ, the National Association of Black Journalists, over 30 years of experience. Uh, and right now, he's the editor-in-chief of The Athletic DC, which is an incredible publication if you've not uh, subscribed yet. Um, also, uh, he is the host of the Hoops Adjacent uh, podcast, which is a part of the Athletic NBA podcast show. So we're happy now to have with us our brother David Aldridge. David, brother, thank you for joining me on Make It Plain, man. How are you, man? Mark, Mark, I'm doing okay. I just, uh, you know, uh, I, I wonder how you're doing more, you know, more. Um, and I appreciate you having me on and thinking that I could add something to this. Um, this amazing life that uh, touched all of us in one way or another. If you if you are from DC or you live in DC the last thirty years, and you had anything to do with sports, I don't know how you 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 didn't touch or get touched by Big John. So I appreciate you having me on. No, well, thank you for joining us. Um, and you know, reading your piece even in the Athletic, <laughs> the interesting thing about Coach was even in covering him, there you would have a relationship with him mm -hmm. that was uh, unusual and extraordinary when it com came to other subjects you would cover, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, John was always teaching, you know, like <laughs> he was always teaching and, were, and educated 
people who wanted to listen and learn, I think. And so, you know, some people came with their ears closed. I always came with my ears open. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I, I wanted to learn from him. Um, I wanted to know how he thought about the world and what he, what he valued in the world, you know? And it was, it was just, it was just wonderful to talk to him, you know, just to listen to him kind of point things out that you hadn't thought about or, or put or, or push you in areas that you didn't know about. And if you had an open mind, um, it was, it was a great journey. It was a great journey whenever you were around him. And just to see how people revere him. I mean, you know, there's so many people that I know that that were even, you know, I was close. I thought I was close to John. I know I wasn't as close as others. But so many people who were, like yourself, talked to JB yesterday, James Brown. I sent Wilbon a text. Everybody is feeling the same way. Just you know, you just feel this emptiness, you know, this void now um, that he could fill with a, with a, with a kind word, with a note, with a, with a cussing out, a well-deserved cussing out, right? (laughs) Um, That would get you back to where you needed to be to deal with whatever it was you needed to deal with. Yeah. When did you first realize um, just how, significant his place in the world was when did you first notice that you know this is there's a little bit more going on here than just the game of basketball i think when he really started rolling at georgetown and i this was before patrick you know this was back in the bay bay era bay bay Duran and big sky shelton and bill martin and all those guys when you realized this is a this is a really good team and their coach is this 610 black guy <laughs> you know like that tends to get your attention i was 13 14 years old i guess at the time <clears throat> you know and i remember they played iowa in a regional final and it was like why you know i didn't know any i'm look i'm i grew up in northeast dc Georgetown might as well have been on Pluto. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I had no knowledge of Georgetown. I had no sense of what Georgetown was or where it was. And, you know, it was literally like, wait, Georgetown? That's in D.C.? Really? Right. <laughs> like, okay. I didn't even know where that was. You know, like, um, I tell people all the time, Mark, I went to America, wound up going to American University. And the, the first day I ever saw American University was the first day I ever went to class at American University. <laughs> like okay. I said, that wasn't a part of DC that just was not accessible, available in any way to me. Mm-hmm. So to see this, this very, very prominent man who would talk in such a authoritative way, um, get your attention. You know, if you're, you know, a young black teenager, that, that, get your attention like you know we grew up when i was young it was maryland it was all lefty drizel we love lefty and we love the program and all the guys there you know i grew up in the um ernest graham era the steve shepherd era you know what i mean so um but then john came along and you were like wow okay there's somebody else in town <laughs> you know like and so that's when i really started to notice it and then obviously once, once he got Patrick and they kind of went to a whole new level in terms of their prominence, 
in college basketball. You, you had, if you were a sports fan at all, you had to pay attention. And then you saw that he would not, he would not hold interviews the way most coaches would be, which would be very deferential to the, to the questioner, <laughs> you know, wouldn't want to make any waves, wouldn't challenge, wouldn't push back. And here he is pushing back on these, no, on these notions and these concepts. And again, it would get your attention as a young black teenager that this is somebody totally different than anything or anyone that I have ever seen in that position, in that role. Back in the early, you know, back in the seventies, Casey Jones was the coach of the Bullets back then, and they had made the final. So I had seen black coaches before, but never anybody that kind of commanded the room the way John did. Yeah. What are your thoughts about how Georgetown imp- impacted black culture? I mean, there oh, was man. when, I mean, it was, it was a really a statement of black power yeah. and black pride to wear a georgetown jacket or to absolutely rock some georgetown gear yeah of course of course and and and, you know as you know everybody in town had the starter jackets you know (laughs) they had pat shoes on and then later they had allen shoes on you know that's it was it was a prideful thing for dc and and again at that time you only you not only had georgetown but then you know, Will Jones took UDC to the national championship in Division Two, right. right. and so it was like, we're the capital of basketball in DC. This is the capital of the basketball world. You know, so you felt pride in that, right? I did. You know, um, as a as a young teenager, you felt very 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 prideful about DC. And I I had gone. I went to Dematha, so I knew. Look, you knew about the history of high school basketball throughout. You know, going back to the to the Dave Bing days and the, and the Elgin Baylor days. So I knew, you knew that high school basketball was big in DC and always had been, but then for the college scene to get to the top, like Maryland had gotten close, but they had never got to the top. And Georgetown and UDC the same year won the national championship. You just, you just felt empowered. Mm-hmm. Mark, I, I've said this all the time, Mark, I, you know, when you grow up in DC, when I grew up in the, in the seventies and, and when you saw black people on TV every night, Jim Vance, Maureen Bunyan, J.C. Hayward, Bob Strickland, you know, every night on the news, I can't tell you how empowering that was to a young black kid Yeah, to see that there's another world you can, there's something else you can aspire to, <laughs> you know, there's other things you can do with your life. And it was the same with John. Like you just said, there's this whole other thing you can aspire to. And that's what that that's what him being there meant to young black kids. And I, and I think and I'm sure it was even more powerful. In the neighborhoods that weren't as privileged as mine, you know, I grew up in Northeast for South Dakota Avenue. We were lucky. We were everybody owned their own homes. Everybody worked two parent houses. I know everybody didn't have that. Right. I know everybody didn't have that. So, for people that didn't have that, um, John reached them on a whole different level. I'm sure than he even reached me. You know, so it was just you can't you can't imagine how empowering that was <laughs> and how how much how much pride you took in that as a DC kid. Uh, in, the, in that time frame. 
because we were dealing with a lot back then, as you know. Like, oh, yeah. That was just when crack was hitting D.C. and was destroying communities throughout the city. Um, and to have something positive to hold on to and someone positive like John to hold on to was big. It was so big. I did an, an interview earlier. So as you know, I was born in D.C. Yeah. My mother was finishing Howard. But she took me back home to her hometown in Nashville to raise me. So I didn't get back to D.C. to attend Georgetown until 1985. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about it earlier, David, <clears throat> in terms of where we even were as a people um, in 1982 when they first went to the finals. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of black political movement or a lot of civil rights movement at that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and so sports figures loom large. Muhammad Ali had just retired. Yeah. Before yeah. that, uh, and before Muhammad Ali, right around that time, I remember being a little boy watching Hank Aaron hit the home run. Yeah, sure. That was my, I tell people, that was my Barack Obama moment. Because mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. we didn't, at the time, we didn't think about, well, maybe we could be president. Right. We can break Babe Ruth's record. Yeah. We can win the heavyweight title. Mm -hmm. But then when when the when the Hoyas took the floor against North Carolina, and see David too, I'm sure you would agree to a lot of people on the national scene, that kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Georgetown yeah. ran through that tournament. Mm -hmm. And even black folk all the country were like, wait a minute. Say the same thing. Say, what is Georgetown? Where is yeah. it? Who is it? Where is that? Yeah. <laughs> is that George Washington? You know, <laughs> right, right, right. A lot of people make that mistake. This is George Washington yeah. first. I remember people yeah. saying, and then it was like, you know, in this black team, is this an HBCU? Yeah. We were all watching <laughs> that on TV. Yeah. Man, we were tripping. Yeah. And if you playing Dean Smith of North Carolina mm -hmm. and come within an errant pass, Georgetown was going to win that game, David. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. You know, and, and so to me, when he did that with that presence, once that appeared on the national scene, I don't think anything was ever the same again. That's when people were just fascinated by the fact that there was a school they never heard of, it was an all-black <laughs> team they'd never seen, mm -hmm. and that there was a, a, a man coaching it that was six foot. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, we, mm. we can't minimize the physical sure. presence of, of Big John. Sure. And and that was an age of our relationship. It was, and maybe it shouldn't be, you know, some people think that, that sports should just stay in the sports lane. But but his <laughs> presence to me, yeah. David, and just achieving that was still to me very political. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Would you not agree? Oh, no question, Mark. No question. It's so, so funny. I covered Jesse Jackson's announcement that he was running for president in 1984. I covered it for my school newspaper, <laughs> for the Eagle at American University. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, a black man is running for president of the United States. <laughs> now, I, like you said, did we think he was going to win? No. We knew he wasn't going to win that time. Okay. But it was like, this is a barrel breaker. I remember as a 16-year-old going down to the mall. And the biggest political thing, this was 1981, the biggest political challenge or thing that we hoped to achieve was getting Martin Luther King's birthday made into a national holiday. 
right. that was it. That was our Super Bowl. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I remember Stevie Wonder singing Happy Birthday, mm -hmm. to, you know, the, the song he had just written. This was 1981. <laughs> to try and get Martin Luther King's birthday made into a national holiday. And that was the thing that people fought for. Right. It was that and South African divestment. Those were the two big issues, <laughs> you know, and again, it, it got to our campus. It got to camp, you know, colleges all across the country because the students were saying you have to divest. You can't, you can't have investment in companies that do business with South Africa. So divestment was a big thing on college campuses when I went to school and the Martin Luther King holiday. That was it. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's no question that the notion that you can separate politics from sports is laughable. Yeah. You know, it's laughable and it's, and, and it's especially laughable for black people. You know, so when someone says stick to sports, you know, they, they're not speaking from a position of honest dialogue. They just don't want to hear the position that you, that you want to espouse, that you want to take, <laughs> you know, um, you know, to, to think that you can talk about sports without talking about politics with with what Jackie Robinson had to endure to break the color line, to re-break, I should say, the color line in baseball after 60 years of segregation, what Jesse Owens had to go through in the 1936 Olympics to destroy what Joe Lewis had to do to beat Max Schmeling, the pressure that was on him, Jack Johnson back in the day, where laws were literally created because he had the audacity to date white women in 1912. <clears throat> Come on, man. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, that's insane. That's absurd to think that politics and sports don't, that politics and our sports, you know, sports are politics by other means. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so that's, you know, it would be silly to think of that. And so John certainly fit right into that realm. And when he was talking about the opportunities that were denied to black coaches. When he would always say he was insulted by the notion of being the first, as if he was the first because he was the most qualified. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and going on through that and the lack of opportunities for a lot of black head coaches, or a lot of black coaches to become head coaches in college basketball at the time, and to go from that to Prop 42. And John would always say, they listened to me because I won a championship. If I hadn't won, they wouldn't listen to me. Yeah. And he's right. <laughs> that's the nature of sports. We'll listen to people who win. Yeah. You know, that's why everybody watched The Last Dance. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> everybody watched The Last Dance because Michael won six. You know what I mean? That's why we watched it. So right. um, he fit right into those times where if it wasn't, if politics were being done on a maybe a smaller scale than they are now, um, the need for strong voices and strong black voices was as necessary as ever in the eighties. Yeah, no question about it. His, what would you say was his impact on the profession for African-American coaches, both in college, if not the NBA? Mm -hmm. And, and did he have an impact on the NBA in general, David? I think so. Um, in this, I think he did. Um, it, it took a little longer for for there to be traction with black head coaches. It was still the '80s, right? <laughs> you know, so you had you had one or two here and there, but you didn't have the kind of real onslaught of black head coaches until the '90s. 
and then it was ex-players. That was the big thing. We need people, we need guys, we need coaches that can relate to the players. That was the biggest thing. So you saw all these ex-coaches getting opportunities to be hired as head coaches. His, you know, his NBA impact was when, with all the people he sent to the NBA. You know, that was, you know, Patrick changed the NBA. Alonzo changed the NBA. Dikembe changed the NBA. In terms of colleges, though, I don't think there's any question that his presence created significantly more opportunities for black coaches to get chances in, in Division One college basketball. Um, and it was, again, John, John Cheney, George Raveling, you know, Rudy Washington, a lot of black coaches who spoke up, but John gave them a platform. I don't think it can be under, I don't think it can be stated enough that John gave other black coaches a platform to talk about the issues that were important to them as well. Yeah. And then open the door for young black coaches to get opportunities, younger black coaches like a Nolan Richardson in Arkansas. You know what I mean? People like that that may not have gotten those opportunities otherwise, or would have had to wait a lot longer to get those opportunities. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I remember um, Bob Wade in Maryland, Nolan Richardson. Yeah. I remember when those guys got hired. Right. And that was that felt like a political victory as well. Mm -hmm. That was another part of the struggle, another wall that we had we had broken down, and it was clear. Yeah. That Big John's presence had a lot to do with that. But I remember cheering them all like, yeah, we got some more. I mean, that was a big deal um, to go to the big state schools like that and get those jobs. I mean, sure, sure. Think about anything like it's that. It's so funny. It's so funny you say that because I remember John saying this to, like it was yesterday. And we were, we were talking about that very thing, like opportunities for coaches, for black coaches to get a chance. And John used to always say, it don't mean nothing until you get one of them university of jobs, <laughs> like university of North Carolina, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? University of Texas, you know what I mean? That's when you knew we had arrived, you know, that, you know, state school or tech or, you know, all those other ones or the private schools, they were great. But yeah. those university of jobs with those university of resources, <laughs> yeah. that's when, that's when you knew black Black coaches had, had really arrived when they got a chance at, at, with the biggest resources that you could have in college sports. And it's funny too, David, now that you mentioned that, um, we would talk about that and it would become clear to me just how important he was as an individual and as a father figure. Because think about it, all the time he was there, Georgetown, for all it's good for, was still a somewhat small private school. So they didn't have the university of dollars. Right, that's right. And but it was it's funny because some people even today think they do. They're like, why isn't Georgetown doing this? Why isn't Georgetown doing this? I said, this ain't Kentucky and North Carolina. Y'all need to be looking. But it was reminded to me that when kids went to Georgetown after having been recruited at the university ofs with mm -hmm. the bells and the whistles, those kids were making decisions because they wanted to play for John Thompson, even though those same big money resources weren't there, you know, and that said a lot too. over the years, even when JT, they just built the building, David, the same building that was there when you were in high school, the same building that was there in 1972 was there up until what, a couple of years ago. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, no, 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 that's absolutely right. And, and unlike, you know, you know, Dean Smith, you know, Bobby Knight, John Wooden, 
those are all state schools. That's right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's very few people that did it at a private Jesuit school or a private school of any kind to the extent that John did. And I think that also opened up the door for the Gonzagas of the world and other small private schools to say, well, we could, let's, you know, let's, let's see if we can put our school on the map doing that. So even in those ways, John's success had influence. I mean, it's, there's very few. If you go back and look at all the schools that have won national championships or even made Final Fours over the year, I mean, there's very few private schools, small private schools, that have gotten to that level. And again, it's another way John changed the game. Lastly, David, um, is any conversation or experience you had with him personally that that most prominently comes to mind that you um, hold on to or is your favorite? I just, I was just always, especially after he retired, you know, and I got to talk to him more, you know, on a less reporter subject level you know what i mean like i always enjoyed those times but you know as you know John, once he got off, once he retired he let more people in i think it's fair to say um and just having him you know mark just having him say i'm watching you i'm proud of you keep doing what you're doing i can't tell you what what that meant to me you know um and he said it often you know uh, and we got to work together at turner for a couple of years right and that was just always the greatest compliment i could get you know because i always i always had this feeling and i still do mark i mean i always feel like black people we we have to do so much to make it in this world that sometimes we don't have we literally don't have the time to like embrace each other you know <laughs> like we're busy everybody's busy and, and trying to do trying to make their mark and i always feel like i i just want people to know i got my side of the street i'm good mm. you know what i mean like you, you, i'm not you don't have to worry about me you know <laughs> and so and i feel that way about other people like i may not i didn't know chadwick bozeman at all but I knew he had his side of the street nailed down. I don't have to worry about him. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so when John would reach out and say, I see you, I got you, I see what you're doing. That just meant, that means so much, yeah. you know what I mean? And so that's why I, I just felt like those encounters with him, when he would say those things, you know, especially the last few years, it just, it was just so impactful to me. And I just, you know, to this day, um, it meant, it meant a lot. It means a lot, you know, coming from him. Well, I think it's, we all naturally seek the validation and the admiration of our fathers, biological yeah. or otherwise. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's black men. Yes. You know? And for John, I know how much it means to, and I know how much he thought of you. Um, to get that from him uh, is as meaningful as getting it from a father. Yes. And I've seen something else too, David. Because of his size, I'm sure you'd agree with this, to get that endorsement and that that level of validation from him 
because the way he carried it, it almost made it feel like, well, I don't need it from white folks. Yeah. I got it, yeah. I got it from Big John. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, because he's hard to please, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, and so, yeah, no, no question. You feel Right, but it wasn't always easy because he could be critical. Of course, know? and he was critical <laughs> of me, <laughs> right. you know. But when he said, listen, you're right, I like what you're doing. Yeah. That meant something. I was, Patrick and I were joking earlier about how, you know, sometimes getting cussed out was an honor, you know, because you said, well, that means he cares or you're doing something right. And you always still learn something. There was never a cussing out that you didn't get something from it. You know, it was the way he, that's just how he operated. Now, he would, he wouldn't cuss me. See, I always felt Marcus funny. Always, he never like cussed me out in anger though. I wanted to get the angry cuss out. He would would do it in a joking way. And I wanted the big John angry cuss out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it was it was always in love, and I really appreciated all the time I had with him, and you know, and just again, the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the men that he that he helped create, right. and it's not just Patrick and Alonzo and, and Deke. No, it's all of us. It's you two. It's, Ralph, yeah. it's Ralph Dalton. It's Bill right. Martin. It's all those people that came through there and are doing great in their whatever michael jackson you know all the people that have come through that program you're right you're right it's all of us including you david we were all his sons and so (laughs) david aldrich folks check him out at the athletic uh and check out hoops adjacent the podcast uh, is a part of the athletic as well keep up the good work my brother folks this is just someone else who was uh touched uh by coach john thompson as we all were and so if any of us are doing anything in the right way, be sure that Coach Thompson played a part in that. Uh, and that includes my brother, David. Thank you, David. Mark, thank you, man. God, you are our refuge. Send our ancestors to guard our doors. Cast out this virus from our communities and our bodies. Heal, bless, and protect everyone listening and their loved ones. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.